Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Sammy James. And on tonight's show, we'll be taking all the liberties as we discuss Friday night's win over Swansea City in South Wales. Oh, what a joyous time to be a Fulham fan. All the doom and gloom from earlier this month dispelled as Scott Parker's men take 12 points out of 12. Uh, As we head into the festive season, I'm joined by three very wise men. George Cooper. Hello. Joe Sansom. Hello. And a belated happy Thanksgiving to Mr. Nathan Martin. Ho, ho, ho. Did you have turkey and all the trimmings? I did, and then I, I had turkey for lunch, and then I went, and I have a fantasy football, American football league that I play in, and we had our annual wings giving, which we ate 11 kilos of chicken wings and watched the NFL in the evening, so that's a pretty strong Americana laden day. Do you feel very American after the past week? Uh, I, Even I, more than normal? I, I do, but then, you know, eventually American does something, like someone in my country does something really stupid, and then I'm just like, oh sake and go back to things so yeah back to feeling a bit british again yeah well you know like let's be honest shout out to the the heroes over on the 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 bridge the other day and those are the sort of things where i say like you know guy fighting off terrorists with a fire extinguisher and a narwhal tusk makes you pretty proud to live in this country didn't need a gun didn't need to do anything stupid so yeah you know feel feel pretty proud to be part of this really awesome city Great. Well, that took uh, a turn that I wasn't quite expecting <laughs> at the beginning of the podcast, but uh, nevertheless, a very important message. <laughs> can, we, can we also um, can we also just just clarify? Eleven kilograms of chicken. Wings. Yeah, yeah, that were, was you, the most interesting part of what you said. Yeah, it was eight guys eating eating eleven kilograms. They serve them by the the chicken wing, and uh, yeah, I was I was feeling not very thankful or festive the next day, but it was a very good evening. Thankful for chicken wings. That's right. <laughs> and all the glory that they bring. Very American and very right. diabetic, hopefully. Not. Yeah, exactly. Um, George Cooper, I've given you the duty of the three-word reviews today. What are they saying? Oh, we've had some fantastic correspondence, Sammy. So we've uh, we moved on. We've taken them from Instagram today to uh, to mix it up a bit. So uh, Sebi Clark, Mitro's quality. I feel like that's a sentiment that's going to be uh, yep. echoing throughout um, Yeah, all the Fulham faithful. Scott Swansea Spectacular by Sledgy9. Now we love a bit of alliteration on the uh, three red views. So that's another one. Uh, Making Welsh points, um, Oz Webster. Uh, the Metro Masterclass by Sam Newman. Uh, let's go, baby, uh, from one Leo C. Maybe that's probably another American. Uh, sounds, it sounds better <laughs> in an American accent. Yeah, yeah, it would have sounded a lot better. Rodak for President by Alexander Zer. We'll come on to his uh, masterful performance later, I'm sure. Drop on a now by Noah R. Twenty. It's always going to be one, isn't there? There's always going to be one. Uh, Mitro, marry me. Uh, Mitro, silence this one. A lot of these are Mitro themed. I think you can, I think you can probably tell. Fulham taking liberties. Um, Aaron Lamb. Uh, Black Friday Wales. Um, Steph is Kante. Black uh, Friday Wales is very good. That's pretty good, actually. Really good. I like that. That's by Patrick Joseph Brown. So well done, Patrick. Congratulations, sir. Onomar's Magic Pass. <laughs> yeah, we'll <laughs> we know what he's referring to there by uh, Rudy Font. Uh, Mitro Rodak Gods, uh, Blaine XW, uh, and let's top it off with one more. Mitro Swans Off by uh, Latimer Andrew. So, yeah. Oh, this one's quite good, actually. RV for President. Liberty, Equality, Fraternity. 
So wow. I'm guessing it's another uh, American listener. A lot of Thanksgiving, a lot of Mitro, but uh, plenty to go off there, I believe. With a French twist, yeah, that yeah. last three-word <laughs> review. Right, let's get on to the game then. Fulham beating Swansea by two goals to one. Uh, Joe, we made one change. Uh, out came Bobby Decadova-Reed. Um, unfortunate to pick up an injury after his first goal. How surprised were you to see Onoma in the lineup? I guess really looking at it, Scott didn't have too many other options. Yeah, I wasn't surprised when I knew that Reed was out, which I mean, I only knew when the lineup came out. Yeah. Um I think if Reed's fit he starts. Um the only thing that I thought Scott might have done would be put McDonald in and put Kearney at 10. Yeah. Um but I think it was actually a really positive move to put Kearney deeper because it shows that he wants to control the game from deep like we did against Derby Um, and I think that we played some of the best football we've seen this season against Derby in terms of the way we controlled the game and I feel like even though the stats don't suggest that we dominated in fact we probably well we had the lower XG we we weren't the better side in terms of stats on Friday I feel that we controlled the game throughout and that we uh, what we needed when we needed to slow the game down we did with with Kearney in the deeper role I feel that that was really positive I think that may be one of the probably more promising developments that we've seen in the last couple games um, because we all know that so much for Fulham goes through Kearney and if we if a team can choke off TC, it becomes very difficult for us to sort of, you know, assert our will on the, on the game. And, and I noticed in the Derby game, to your point, exactly right. He was dropping much deeper and he, it just seemed he was getting the ball much more. He was sort of involved much more. And I'm, I'm really yeah, a big fan of that sort of role. And if you can have someone who sits in front of him who sort of, you know, create in a defender sort of cleaning up that space, it, it just opens up a lot of other things. And it's really nice to see Kamara playing another position and creating things as well. Um, let's move on to the first big moment of the game, which was uh, a well-developed uh, Swansea attack and Surridge getting to the back post. It was one of those where all of us in the pub at the Fulhamish Social, we just all went, oh, no. Here we go. <laughs> Marek Rodek with a quality save. Um, I think Ian Holloway compared it to Gordon Banks on <laughs> EFL on Quest, which maybe was taking it a little far, but still a wonderful um, bit of goalkeeping from Marek Rodak. And one of those moments which felt game-changing, fully game-changing. After that, I think Fulham picked up some confidence because under this normal circumstances, that would have been 1-0 to Swansea, six minutes in, and it would have been a really, really long evening. Oh, no, absolutely. And he's, uh, he's never one to shy away from hyperbole, is Ian Holloway? Is he? No, of course not. <laughs> but, no, absolutely. Game-defining. How many times have we seen Fulham concede a goal fairly early on and then drop heads and struggle to break teams down? And the, the magnitude of that save cannot be understated. It was a, it was phenomenal. Um but yeah, what did what did um, Betts describe it as something in a, in a tweet? Um, tuna. Yeah, tuna. tuna. I don't know whether that's a goalkeeping term, something from the goalkeepers' union, perhaps. But he said fantastic tuna. So I think oh, I hope to see a lot more tuners for the rest of the season. I'm from baff- I can't. I actually can't. It must be really obvious. I can't think what the hell that means. I have no because idea. you have to go down and like, like he has to go down to go get it or something. I, I don't know. It's like it's worth. Maybe we could ask a, a listener, Alaska listener, if somebody hears this and has the answer to it. We can uh, we can come back to it, but. Yeah, well, what is that? Thing. But I mean, the the way he's managed to get down, when we, we're saying, I think we were talking before we, we started recording that the difference that we feel between Betts and Rodak is, although Rodak is all of what 
six foot four plus. How, I'm not sure exactly how tall he is, but his ability to get down to the ball quickly mm. is something that we feel certainly separates him. He just gives him that edge over 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 old bet. That second save that he made, where he pushes the ball wide. I just thought as well, one, it, it's it's very difficult. He's going away from himself. He's throwing himself backwards. But also, you know, just the fact that he pushes it out and not back across goal or not into a dangerous area. I, you know, I, you know we, we love hyperbole. It's, it's it's a lot of fun. And But I've we watched him for a couple of games now, and he's he's making some of these saves that you don't want to be rude to bets, but you're not convinced that he would make the same ones in that set of circumstances. I feel a lot more confident when a shot's coming in and Rodak's facing it. Yeah, I know that he hasn't played many games yet, and I know that it's very early on and he's, good, he's had a good start, as Bettinelli's had very good spells as well. But I just, I feel that with Rodak, he's, so far, he's got it all, apart from the error that he made when he kicked it out against QPI's distribution's been pretty much perfect he's known when to kick it long he's known when to pass it short he's good on the ball and he's also very good at um, knowing when to punch or catch I feel and I just feel that he he dominates his area more than Bettinelli does well, I mean, it was a, a masterful performance from from Marek Rodak, and um, rightly so. He was the uh, best player on the on the Fulhamish player ratings, and was awarded the Man of the Match um, by the official website today. Uh, interesting one with Sam Surridge. He was the player on loan from Bournemouth who scored the winning goal um, to knock Fulham out of the FA Cup last season for oh. Oldham Athletics. So a little bit of redemption for for Fulham against Surridge after probably the most humiliating moment of last season, and there were many <laughs> but losing to a managerless Oldham who were 18th in League 2 at the time was particularly grim uh, interesting that the FA Cup draw actually will be released by the time that you're listening to this podcast we currently are about an hour away from it so we won't be able to talk about it in this podcast but um George do you want to give me your thoughts on Fulham's FA Cup third round draw what are your feelings can we win it oh the FA Cup no, the third round draw that's been already announced by the time this podcast comes out. Do you think it's a good draw for Fulham? A bad oh, I draw? think it's an exceptional draw. I know it's it's a ground that I've not been to, um, so I'm looking forward to. I really hope it's at Craven Cottage. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I've, I I feel like with the FA Cup and especially with 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 the uh, with the advances that we have at this draw, it's almost a certainty that we're going to at least make the finals. And I I personally would like to see Fulham go on an FA Cup run as long as it's not to detriment to our to our league um to our league form but you really well, I, 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 I want to see the, the thing i would like to see is particularly for i know that no one wants to pull him out but i would love to see some other players play up top instead of mitrovic and like let's 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 let some of these younger players you know that like like let the youth come out and play a bit and let's play a strongish team i mean like you know even kmac right like give kmac some minutes he does he's not getting quite as many yeah. right now but but yeah, but I, I don't think we can prioritize the. the I couldn't give him monkeys. Actually, <laughs> couldn't give him monkeys this season. It's, it's it's people no, it's, like it's, you, which is why the FA Cup's dying, Sammy. It's proper football for proper people. <laughs> is, when we're in the, the Premier League, I want to win the <laughs> FA Cup. I want to go fully for the FA Cup. Even last season, when we were crap and we were going down, I wanted us to go for the FA Cup, and I was pissed off about the Oldham game. Championship, couldn't care less. We need promotion. We need the weekends off. We need those breaks in order to sustain a promotion push. And actually, I think the season we went up getting knocked out in the third round meekly 1-0 to Southampton like we did was the best thing that could have happened to us it wasn't an embarrassment it was a Premier League team it was absolutely fine I just I know it sounds defeatist but no, no I, I, I understand like you like let's be honest I mean this we, we have a, particularly with the last couple of results we've had and with Leeds and West Brom sort of 
sort of kind of pulling away a bit there is no very little margin for error going into christmas and that after that season to sort of like drop points or to have any of any of your focus taken off and yeah for for fulham there, there's only one thing that matters this year well really winnable draw definitely for fulham in the fa cup <laughs> third round let's move on to fulham's first goal nice play from fulham down the left hand side joe bryant with the cross abubakar kamara with a wonderful bit of improvisation to hit the bar and then who's man on the spot Alexander also a save Mitrovic. it was a tip it was tipped oh, under fantastic. the bar was it tipped it was yeah. an incredible save first in, in the first oh instance. I actually didn't spot that it makes, yeah, it, makes it, it much better when you realise that the keeper going in. yeah yeah um, and then Mitrovic man on the spot I mean it was just a, a wonderful move and, and lovely after undergoing some real tough pressure in that first 20 minutes for Fulham to go into the ascendancy and actually go and uh, nick a goal. It didn't feel very Fulhamish the whole the whole way that first half now panned out, Nathan. No, and I'm looking at the stats for the night and how it sort of, you know, fell out and you just go, this is not what we're used to seeing from for Fulham. And you know what? That's that's actually kind of great. It goes back to the QPR game. It's winning these games where we're not you know, just controlling it for large portions of the game, but being, you know, I had a Leeds friend who listens to the podcast, ironically, sometimes he said, you know, the difference between your team and ours, and as he said this before the the results uh, yesterday, um, is he said, you know, you guys are taking your chances when you get them. You're being very clinical about the opportunities you have. And that's, that's also not very, that's not very full of mission, you know, way to handle it. And I just thought it was so impressive to see, you know, we, we, we had a couple of really dodgy moments. Rodak saved our bacon a bit. We, we, you know, Brian makes a nice, just messy cross, Kamara puts on target, Mitro puts it away. And then my favorite moment, you know, we, we the podcast tweeted out, but just watching AK and sort of Mitro celebrate together and a little bit of that chemistry, you know, what, what a wonderful thing to see this club just kind of move past some of the dysfunction of last year and have these very talented players be able to work together, seem to like to each other, go on hollow, you know, Christmas parties together and very questionable outfits. Um, you know, that this, this, this feels, this feels different right now. It feels good. And we're winning games without having, we had no corners in the game. You know, we had let, sort of split possession. You know, this is not what we're used to seeing. Well, I mean, what a change for, for Mitrovic and Kamara within 12 months. I mean, it's nearly a year's anniversary since that infamous match last year. And, you know, within 11 months, uh, Kamara, Kamara's doing the famous nod uh, <laughs> at, at, at Mitro. I mean, everyone's talking about Mitro and his goals. It's now 15 in 18 league appearances for Mitrovic this season. Glenn Murray's got the championship record with 30 goals. We're not even hot, close to being halfway through the season. It's got to be there for the taking. It has to be. I think so. And you look at Puki last season got pretty, a pretty special amount of numbers. Well, um, what did Puki I get? I think last he year? got around thirty, possibly just under. Uh, testing me now. You, uh, you, you continue. <laughs> you continue, and I will Google. But Puki, I was looking the other day because I was thinking Mitrovic is on unbelievable numbers for club and country this calendar year, let alone this season. And I was thinking, I wonder what Puki was on, and. Puki hadn't got going at this stage last season. Maybe he'd started to score. So I, d- I don't know what Mitrovic is going to get because when he gets a chance, it's it's scary for the opposition. It, it's it's almost definitely going in. Mm. And I was so confident for the second goal, especially. First goal was a bit different. It happened quite quickly. But when Onoma's incredible acrobatic <laughs> oh, assist. Oh, fantastic. 29 <laughs> goals. Messi 29. 29 that Puki got last So season. there you go. He's already over halfway there. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, after that incredible assist, when the ball falls to him and he's got that little touch, you know it's going in. Yeah, it was no doubt, was it? I want Mitrovic to father my children. He's he's just <laughs> been an is uh, perfect striker and he's exactly what we need and he's gonna obviously injury. the thing is I'm not worried I mean I'm touching with him I'm saying this but he's so, he's so hard and he's so tough that you can't see him 
picking up. It I feels like I don't he's, say he's starting to win points for us, which yeah. is maybe only one thing you could have labelled him at the start of the season. He was getting goals, but sometimes it was the second or third in a, in, in a, in a 2 0 win. And now you've got the Birmingham game, you had the Luton game where he won us all three points. Um, he got us going um, the other night against Derby. And now with this kind of cameo against Swansea, he's now really starting to actually be the difference. You know, the, one of the things I thought watching the Derby game, and I wanted to give a shout out to a Fulhamish fan who came over and Jack Starr from Kansas City, Missouri, who came over and went to the QPR game and the Derby game. We haven't lost since since he came over the game, so he needs to come over a bit more often. Yeah, um, have my season. Too. Yeah, exactly. My goodness. But what was impressive about that game and I, with Mitro is that I just watched him during the game, and actually, you know, he wasn't involved all that much. If you watched him, there are large stretches of the game where he's sort of just floating around. You know, we're not getting the ball to him any much. Did it when he needed to, but you know, we're winning games. We're not having to just only rely on him, and that's what we didn't do last year. We had to keep feeding him. And the and this uh, second bit is that what I'm really kind of you know cautiously excited about is. You know, the Christmas season is when it starts getting messy. It gets, you know, like maybe snowy and icy and all the rest of those things. This is Mitrovic's like prime territory. It's like, you know, Bane and Batman in the darkness. Like Mitrovic is like, I, I'm used to this stuff. Like, you know, he could just absolutely clean up over the Christmas season. Again, knock on wood when he you know gets injured or whatever. But, you know, we're, we're entering to a point where this is his kind of prime area. And he just is great at sort of scuffing it up when defenders are, you know, under pressure. And who knows what's going to happen. The winter's your ally. <laughs> I'd like to give some credit to Onomuth for that goal now I know I know that we're joking about the no, assist but the, yeah, but the and interception. it's a slice but the interception the anticipation of that is what sets that going and actually his positioning there he limits all the options for the Swansea player on the left hand side who gave it away and okay I don't think that Onoma is a real long term answer and he looks still short on confidence but actually in that moment I think that he's a key linchpin to that goal going in. So I'd like to give a bit of credit to Onoma because I don't think that anyone really has given him any this season. Yeah, absolutely. There's a uh, there's a form of martial art which is used by the Shaolin monks, which uh, which hangs on deception, which uh, which <laughs> lures your opponent into a full sense of security before uh, overpowering them. And I feel like uh, Josh Onoma utilised such techniques uh, in setting up Mitrovic for that goal. Some George, of the tangents today. Yeah, I George, I was about to say, Sabia's never gonna let you and I on the pod at the same time again. We've got Norwell Tusk, we've got Bane. What else can we hit before Talking the end of the night? No hey, and, and shout out also to a member of the pod today who just got off his probationary period with his apprenticeship today. So, yeah. that, you know, we, I, I'm <laughs> oh, just going to do another little tangent. Well done, Joe. Oh, thank you. Stuff, thank man. you. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, man. Much respect. <laughs> so, we went into the halftime break 2 uh, 0 in the lead. It was a lovely, comfortable position to be in. And in that second half, we were just trying to take the sting out of it, really. And it was an unfortunate one that. We did actually concede um, fairly early on in the half, 65 minutes. We still had like a 25-minute period to see out. The goal, I feel like lots of players could have done better. Alfie Mawson, probably a little bit of blame. And Rodak, given some of the saves he made in the first half, will be disappointed that that was the one that beat him. Because I think either of the first two in that first half from from Byers and from Surridge would have been fair enough but he could have just been a little bit quicker to react to it I mean, if you're being harsh I mean he got down to it so that's why he'll be frustrated I mean it was right in the corner it was four players unmarked he doesn't know where who's going to get to it he doesn't know where it's going to go um, it's just infuriating that that's the one that's gone in because yeah. on another day that's savable but I don't think it was a goalkeeping mistake I think it's a defensive mistake to leave him unmarked but I do think that 
overall, that's the only major defensive mistake we made in the whole game. Because other than that, I thought, I wouldn't say faultless, but I would say very solid, hard to break down, and pretty much everything that came into the box went away. Jordan, now you had a bit of space in that. Like he, he I mean, let's be honest. At the same time, you know, this is a player who's probably better than a lot of his opposition but but he did seem to get free quite a lot in that game and had a lot of space to run into and then for the rest of the game we, we did just about manage to hold it off I thought Kevin McDonald was impressive when he came on for the final 15 minutes um, for Kamara he really settled things there was no point where I really felt like we were under the cosh I felt like at QPR it was all a bit last ditch and something could have gone wrong even though we just about managed to hold it on but it was just thoroughly professional throughout the whole thing the most professional thing of course would have been to hold it on to 2-0 but Fulham are just starting to get a bit of grit under Scott some of that soft underbelly that I think we've had for years even maybe under Jukanovic we had a bit of it at times Scott seems to be getting rid of that which which is which is a huge testament to him because I feel like it's something that's been at Fulham as far, far as I can remember almost yeah no I absolutely agree we seem to have got a bit of bottle yeah uh, whether it be just get it full stop or get it back it, we're grinding out results which is just it's fantastic to see and it's it's imperative that we continue doing this throughout the rest of the season but yeah I mean how many times have we conceded soft goals in the past and, and in the recent past as well so yeah whether it's something the Scots doing or you know the just gelling more defensively and um, and flapping less on the ball and just generally having more confidence in, in our own defending ability. Uh, I think we, we've touched upon it in the past in the podcast, but the, the partnership between uh, Reem and Mawson is, is, had a massive uh, say to that. And also uh, Adoy's done an excellent job at right back, in my opinion, as well. And we've obviously spoken at length about Joe Bryan and what he brings to the team. But um, the centre-back partnership and Adoy, he seems to be genuinely enjoying playing in that right-back position. I think we've got a very strong defence at the moment. You can't really, I, mean, I think one of the things, it's really hard, we've, we've said this, it's like we don't see what it's like on the training ground, we don't see this sort of things, and it's really easy to criticise a manager for substitutions of those things, and I've I've said this when when friends ask, well, you know, are Fulham going to go up? And I said, I don't really know, is Parker the right guy for the job? Not entirely sure at times, but what I do know is that the players respect and buy into what Parker is trying to do and players are improving and players are also being taken in and out of the lineup without there being a huge you know fuss like think about Knockhart getting dropped right that's a expensive players getting put out the switch with bets you know all this stuff is happening and the player the results on the pitch aren't you know you're not seeing sort of I don't think he's losing respect right that's what I'm saying like I think he's keeping it there and even Kamara's development right and so that and then you tie all that together to the point about having a bit of bottle and sort of having a stick I think all that stuff comes together and whatever Parker is doing, the players buy into it and it gives you a bit of confidence going forward, particularly if we can marry that to the sort of tactics that seem to be improving as we go. Well, yeah, I wanted to come on to the tactics because Jack Collins and I, after the Hull game, we laid into Scott a little bit because we just felt like sometimes there was a bit of tactical naivety to the whole thing and the way that we dealt with the Hull game was was poor really from and and you felt like Hull when you look at Hull since they're a very beatable team and and we really like fell into their traps that day and we just wondered if if Scott was being a bit naive with some of his tactical management Joe but since then a really really robust win over a tough Birmingham side Steve Cooper 
is an intelligent manager. We heard it from the Swansea fan on the podcast last week, how Steve, he really does his homework on teams. So he'll have done his homework on Fulham and, and Scott managed to overcome a bit of a battle with him, particularly in that second half where Scott managed to tweak his formations to kind of defy anything that Swansea and Steve Cooper was able to do. I, I think he deserves quite a lot of credit and, and it goes back to what we've said a lot of times, he seems to be a quick learner. Definitely, because that whole game was a massive wake-up call for everyone. A few people were even calling for his head because it was that naive a performance against a team that are basically built for counter-attacking, yeah. just played into their hands. Since then, we've basically had four different styles of win. It was a pretty nothing game at Birmingham, just managed to get through that. Come from behind against QPR, just battered Derby, and yes. then um, basically just overcame a fairly tough Swansea team um, with a just professional away performance. And... You can see from the start of the game against Swansea, the first two or three minutes, they didn't touch the ball and they sat back and that set the tone. Then they started coming forward and we just sat back for a bit and it was almost as if we read, OK, we're under pressure now. We're not going to just bombard them like sometimes we used to. Uh, we're going to ride this out and then we're going to hit them on the break. And then that, that, that worked. And the fact is, well, that when we take the lead now, I know it frustrates me and it frustrates a lot of people when he... Uh, changes to five at the back but I can't remember us going to five at the back and then not holding on to the win you've perfectly <laughs> segged you've perfectly segged into what I was going on to next Joe it's like you, you read my mind so I've got an email here we're going to do most of the questions later but this is a bit of a special one uh, from Chris Frank now I remember Chris because oh two seasons ago he did some really in-depth research on Shay Ojo. And I know it was nuts. And I, I, I can't remember what he was trying to argue at the time. I think it was how Fulham performed better with Shay Ojo. And he was a bit similar to Josh Onoma at the time, Shay Ojo, in the sense that Fulham fans didn't really rate, rate him, but he kept being selected. And then after a while, we seemed to notice a pattern of when Shay Ojo played, we seemed to do better, if, if memory serves correct. So he's gone in this kind of depth again. So Is it going to be good? Hello, I have not written in for a while. I last sent you some of the back-of-the-envelope analysis that Fulham always won when Shay Ojo started during the promotion season. An equally robust follow-up is long overdue, and I was interested in the recent pod discussion about how Scott Parker had made a tactical shift to a more defensive formation late in the game against QPR with Fulham in the ascendancy in order to try and hold on for the win. Your view matched my own that this seemed a strangely negative approach at the time. He then deployed the same tactic against Derby and then again against Swansea tonight, Friday night. So I thought worth... I thought it was worth looking into it some more. I looked through all Scott Parker's games as manager and found 18 games where we went into the last 15 minutes of the match with a scoreline that we would want to defend, i.e. we're in the lead or holding on to a good draw against opposition such as Liverpool. I've compared the occasions when Scott replaced a midfielder <laughs> attacker with a defender in order to shift to a back five with those games where he did not do this. Helpfully, there is an even split. Nine games where Scott has deployed the defensive switch to a back five and nine games where he has not. Underlined. In all nine cases where the defensive switch has been made, the scoreline was successfully defended. <laughs> Indeed, we have spent a total of 122 minutes, including injury time, at the end of these nine games in the defensive switch formation and have conceded zero goals. 
also only scored one, Kearney against Derby on Tuesday. When we compare this to the nine games where we have not made a tactical defensive switch in the last 15 minutes of the match while defending a scoreline, in these games we failed to hold on to the results where we were defending in five out of the nine occasions. In the games where we were without a defensive switch, a total of 187 minutes were racked up. Um, in this time, we conceded a total of seven goals. To put it succinctly, under Scott, when we don't switch to five at the back, we end up throwing away our good position more often than not. Um, he does then go on to say it's not a big enough data set to make the case for the defensive switch definitively, but it's prob- and it's probably circumstantial, but interesting nonetheless. Chris, we bow to your oh, incredible, incredible, <laughs> yeah, well, well incredible done, data dive but fascinating I just I get when I get those emails I'm just like put him on like a you know quest or somewhere like that I mean it's like this is the type of stuff that's actually really put him interesting on the payroll Nathan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly <laughs> what payroll uh, I mean wonderful stuff uh, I sorry I meant the Fulham payroll not our payroll I was about to say, say wow <laughs> but George very fascinating and data that goes against what I would reasonably believe as a fan just from looking at things without that kind of deep dive. Mm, I'm just alarmed that we're playing right into uh, the management of Bristol City's hands for our forthcoming game. You can't be uh, giving away our our Fulham secrets. <laughs> well, this, also, this Lee, Lee Johnson is a Fulham fan, so may conceivably be listening to the podcast. Unlikely, but yeah, we have given away uh, the secret. And thank you very much for that, Chris. Wonderful, wonderful analysis. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, and then afterwards, we're going to have a, a little look at the rest of the championship and answer some of your questions. How does free beer sound to you? Well, as a loyal listener to Fulhamish, we'd like to reward you with just that free beer it's thanks to our friends at beer52.com who are giving you the opportunity to sip 10 free exclusive craft beers from all around the world all you need to do is go to beer52.com slash fulham and cover the four pounds 95 for the postage so you will get sent 10 craft beers the very next day all you need to do is cover that postage now if you don't know about beer 52 they are beer pioneers they traverse the globe to find the best and most interesting beers from the greatest small batch breweries that planet earth has to offer each month beer 52 will deliver a case with a different theme past themes have included germany korea norway and many more but they're also passionate about the uk craft beer scene too beer 52 don't hold you to ransom there's no lock-in and you can leave anytime your first box will be sent to you the very next day so to take advantage of this deal just go to beer52.com slash fulham that's beer52.com slash fulham and get your first case of 10 craft beers for free all you need to do is cover the postage that's beer52.com forward slash fulham would you like the latest fulham breaking news straight to your phone i thought you might if so sign up to the fulhamish whatsapp channel and you'll receive regular match day updates transfer updates breaking ffc news and podcast alerts it's 100 percent free and you can opt out anytime if you want to sign up go to fulhamish.co.uk forward slash whatsapp and follow the instructions that's fulhamish.co.uk forward slash whatsapp welcome back to part two of the fulhamish podcast sammy james here with george cooper all right mate joe sansom hello and nathan martin hurrah okay just a quick little look at the rest of the championship um again we don't know the result of the west brom game which is tonight very interesting one they're playing preston i believe Uh, yep um but uh, four wins in a row does not seem to have got us any closer to the top two. But we do now seem to have a little gap um, in third place. Is it becoming a three-horse race, Joe? Yes. Um, 
I've seen a few few people say that um, Nottingham Forest are involved. Um, I doubt any Nottingham Forest fans are listening, but um, they'll probably hear me for saying this, but I don't think they are a threat. I think they're a top six threat. I don't think they're a top two threat because I feel like they're a very very defensive team um, that just make the most of their chances so far. Smash Um, and grab. uh, Smash and grab, exactly, like they did against us. And they're they're very good at it, but I don't think that that's um, what you can do to get into the top two this season with how good Leeds and West Brom and hopefully we are. Um, I feel that West Brom are probably the best team in the league so mm-hmm. far for I mean, sure uh, yeah I mean great player I mean I'm glad we played them when we did and we should have won that game yeah, because should. they hadn't really hit their stride yet um, and it, it's a frustrating point but at least we didn't play them now where I think it could have been a lot of a lot harder game um, I think that Leeds game in December is massive mm-hmm. but I do feel like it is us three starting to pull away with those two still a little bit in front obviously a worrying gap though between us second and first there's still no room for error any drop points over four upcoming games which are really really hard um, Bristol Preston Brentford Leeds and and it will be a sizable gap to make up if we do and it and it feels a little bit like 17 18 again where we just may really struggle to break down that gap to the top 2 because of our slow starts Obviously, yeah. if we go 23 unbeaten, then we'll probably will do it. But. Yeah, I mean, just but, but I, I keep saying let's wait till we see how it comes out of Christmas because you know there, there's a bunch of fixtures that'll be happening. Like you said, those four matches that are coming up are going to be really crucial. And you know the other sides are also you're going to have start having injuries, people picking up injuries. There'll be some some nicks and things. And if we come out of Christmas and there's still that sort of gap between us and West Brom, then then we're really going to have to be start gunning for the second place. Um, but like as you said, right now it does look like there's sort of three squads that are slightly better than the rest of the league it's not a wolves scenario not a newcastle scenario but it is starting to to define itself a bit george are the bees top two consideration the bees brentford top two did you see them on oh yeah it was just the seven goals wasn't it um (laughs) but no i don't think they're top two consideration but my best mate's bees fan as well um and he wouldn't mind me saying this i think i think they're almost a dead cert for uh, for top for, for playoff spots, but I don't think they've quite got the legs to take it to top two. And that's just my opinion. You won't want to play them in the playoffs either. Though. That's like that, I, don't yeah. want to, that, that, I don't. I don't want to play them in ten days' time, Nathan. No, exactly. <laughs> but, but I'm just saying, you know, they're and they're they're just a well-run club. Yeah, they, I, they do this think, every year. That you know, they've got a good fan base. As much as it might hurt us to say, I don't think they're a top two. No, but I would hate to face them in the playoffs. I, I could not agree more. And as you said, a lot. They had the um, their statistician who, who tragically passed away last season, wasn't it? But they they utilize the Moneyball system I think just about as good as any team in the football league they run on a shoestring budget that club and they buy cheap sell for big and then reinvest it wisely yeah. I, I think they're an absolute hallmark to how to run a football club I know they're our local rivals but I've got a lot of respect for Brentford however having said that I don't think they're going to be top two contenders and if you want to have a little bit of um, realism on, on Brentford listen to the Richard Osman podcast because uh, I still think the fact that he called them irrelevant is my favourite moment. <laughs> he missed, missed a big trick there. He should have called them pointless. I know. It was a little bit of a missed trick, wasn't it? But still, one of my favourite moments ever doing Fulhamish. Right, let's move on to some questions. First one isn't really a question. It's more a statement. Um, another good bit of research here from Harry Prowse, who uh, sent me this on Twitter. So Stephen Sessegnon was injured. And the club actually never said anything, but they did say anything in an under-23s report. In the notable talking points at the bottom, there is one bullet point that says, Stephen Sessegnon made his comeback from injury by completing 63 minutes in tonight's PL Cup clash. God, that's that's so odd to think about that that way. Somebody who was 
you know, starting for us. And if he's been in, so you suggest that he's been injured this whole time and just nobody's mentioned it. I don't. I, it, I'm I'm baffled. And let, I mean, if, if someone wants to clarify where the club said he was injured, but I mean, Joe, this is the kind of thing I generally would imagine you to be on top of or know about. And I remember you saying that no one knew. Yeah. Well, and also they still haven't mentioned that Harry Arter's been missing since the Charlton game. Um, <laughs> That's right. That's he right. hasn't. He hasn't been on the bench either. I mean, I guess maybe it's a tactic so that. I mean, I wouldn't. I would say that it'd be a tactic to use more with maybe some of our attacking players, where teams might might not know who they're going up against. Mm. Um, but it it is a bit unusual. I, I I'd seen that he'd come back in that match via that article as well, and I thought it was That's a bit really of an weird. odd one. Yeah, but you see this in like sometimes in the NFL, where um, I think it was the Patriots or whoever else, they'll sort of play a little bit fast and loose with you know who's hurt, who's not hurt, because you don't want to let your you know rivals know who you're going to play. But yeah, to your point, with the Arter, the Arter point is a great one. Just you know, this, where is he? Did, 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 was there a fight? over dinner you know Sunday dinner yeah, one night and, that man. yeah exactly like my goodness like it's it's a very odd one that's a very interesting point they say so teams in the NFL will sometimes falsely claim that a player's injured or vice versa to try and throw the other uh, to, to tactical advantage because when you think about it what reason has Scott Parker got to claim who's not going to be playing or who is going to be playing is it just to keep the fans involved you have to I think there's some usually some rules with the you know with the NFL or the you know the EFL over here where you can't you know there's sort of a, a line but to your point yeah why not just not to provide as little information as possible because honestly like you know as long as the club knows what's going on with the players and the players know that they're on the same page doesn't help anybody. We're seeing some mind games from Scott Parker. I love it. I love Tony, it. Tony, Tony's bringing over some stuff from the Jags and the NFL. So, I remember though when I did some work for the club, and I remember that we asked for um, a chat with like the physio because we wanted to do an injury update. And I just remember being told that they don't really do that. And I remember it. I just remember it specifically, and I want to go into the reasons why or whatever, but. There wasn't really any reason why. They were just like, yeah, they don't really do that. I think it's just a case of clubs keep injuries close to their chest sometimes. They don't want to broadcast every bit of information. It makes me wonder where some of those websites that track injuries get some of their info from. Is it ITKs or... Or moles in the club. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The physio moles. (laughs) It's a rat. It's like the departed, but Philip. Well, can you imagine if there's a physio that never is trusted because he uh, (laughs) he constantly gives away uh, information to uh, ITK websites. Right, let's do some questions. Uh, Lawrence Craven, this is a great question. Aside from Mitro, if we can't afford to lose a player to injury this season, who would it be so other than Mitro who would be the most damaging player for Fulham to pick up an injury to let's just go American Tim Ream I don't know I'm, I'm gonna throw I'm just throwing it out there you know the, the point being well, you've is got that Michael Hector in within. so so let's see how uh, yeah I have no idea Let, let's yeah I guess that's a good point like, so in, scratch, in scratch scratch that I think it's Kearney yeah personally just because I, I feel like without him we don't create enough um, mm. and he just runs the show nine times out of ten if he picked up a season long injury will it be worth calling back John McElserry because clearly Ooh. Galatasaray don't want him and I think it's probably Fulham that are saying no we don't want him back because we can't afford his wages but well I know I know we said Onoma did well with that inception but I wouldn't want to see Onoma at, at ten for the season I, I mean I guess Bobby Reed would play there yeah. but then you would probably have Reed and Johansson. Is that too defensive? I, I just feel like without Kearney, we don't have the balance. No, mm. I'd have to. Be. I can't. I can't particularly look past Kearney. Yeah. You know, he's starting to play that Andre Pirlo role, um, and I, I 
think it's really starting to gel. So I think he would be a major, major miss. As for bringing Seri back, I mean that's a that's a beautiful hypothetical situation to to imagine. Although I, I could could never see that. Happen. Can you imagine John Michael Seri, who's famously you know his feet doesn't doesn't like the cold? Yeah, you're coming the to the bleak, coming to play the championship. <laughs> you're coming to play you know a championship Luton Town. Oh yeah. no, yeah. Preston, Preston, Preston. Next Tuesday. Oh gosh, do you think Seri's up for that? I don't think so. Yeah, and I, I like him a lot. I think he got a bad rap, but I just cannot imagine he wants to come play any more than you know the club wants him back right now. Colm Boogler. Which of any of the five on loan players would you be happy with us signing permanently at the end of the season? So out, let's say you can only pick one of the on loan players, forget the clauses. Maybe let's exclude Bobby Reed from this conversation because from what we understand, we don't really have the option to send Bobby Reed back. So you've got Harry Arter, Knockart, Cavalero and Harrison Reed. And Harrison Reed. You can only take one of them. Who do you take, Nathan? Probably Cavalero. I think I think Cav, even though he's been a little bit like sporadic or whatever, like I think he would do a job for you in the Premier League. He would do a job for you, you know, if you're in the Championship again. Knockhart's pretty pricey, and you know, we we we've sort of been able to drop him in and out. The other one, it might be Harrison Reed, though. Is Harrison Reed is is just been so consistent, and he's one that just slots into sort of every position. But but yeah, Cav's probably the pick that I'd have to have. Uh, I was just saying, you can't pick all of them. <laughs> just talking through. Um, Cab for me, I, I like I like all of them. Apart from I've made my opinions of Harry Arter <laughs> known on this podcast, but apart from that, I, I would take all of them. But Cab for me, uh, I feel like his attitude is fantastic. He, he grafts, he's quick, he's strong, um, and he provides the most for us. Um, I feel moving going forward, and yeah, looking to the future as well. I feel like he he's genuinely got the biggest place in our team mm-hmm. from what we've seen at the moment. But Cab for me. Um, this one from Michael B. Why has Dennis Adoy become the Belgian Cafu? <laughs> oh, he, he raises a serious <laughs> point, though. He hasn't just turned into a wonderful player, but since he's come back into the side, it's been really impressive from Dennis. I personally just believe we're playing him in his right position. He came to us as a right back. Shock horror. He's doing quite well as a right back. Yeah, if you think back to his first game against Newcastle when he played at right back, he was brilliant. And we were thinking, oh my goodness, this is the this is the right back we've been waiting for. And then he got displaced by Fredericks. And to be honest, I think that Odoi is better than Fredericks defensively. It's just that Fredericks is probably just a lot quicker going forward. I wouldn't even say that Frederick has got a better final ball than Adoy. I think Adoy's final ball, recently especially, oh. has actually been very, very impressive, especially that one against QPR. It's absolute peach. And the, and the ability of a right back like that who can drive into the centre like, like Adoy likes to do, where he'll just sort of go on those runs, it's, it's sort of, we laugh about it a little bit, but it creates all types of havoc, and Scott obviously wants his his wingers to do that a bit. You know, Joe does it on the other side where they'll those make those runs when space cleans up I like Dennis a lot I think I have a lot of time for him he works hard he does whatever the club asks him to do he'll he, he never he, he never leaves anything off Dennis you know? literally asked does anything the club asked yeah. him to do they asked him to collect donations last year and he was out on the Stevenage Road like he literally will <laughs> do anything hero. they say absolutely and um, I think he got his 100th appearance for Fulham uh, on Friday as well so congratulations to Dennis I was thinking about what's Dennis's greatest moment now everyone's going to think oh, the Derby well, no everyone's going to think the Derby game but I go back to the back thing oh the back thing was ridiculous against Newcastle yeah but you can't you can't really say that the back thing is better like 
than 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 the goal against Derby because I mean that is literally going to be a club defining moment. But the back thing was ridiculous. Last two. This one from David Kettlehake. This is a bit more fun. Uh, love the podcast. Keep up the great work. Question for the lads. In recent memory, who are the three signings that arrived with great fanfare but totally failed to live up to expectations? Um, I've got my three, beginning with a certain John Seri, but I'm curious to hear what your choices are. So you don't necessarily have to give me three, but um, name me a player that arrived with great fanfare but didn't live up to the hype at all. You can go either new or old. I would say Brian Ruiz. He was... Oh, of course. Um, great shout. It was... He came with such high expectations, and the first thing you do as a football fan when you've signed a player that you've heard of and you know is good is look at a skill compilation on YouTube. And having looked at Brian's skill compilation <laughs> on YouTube, I was like, "We have signed the best player on the planet." Yeah. <laughs> However, things obviously didn't quite work out. The most frustrating thing for me about that signing was that we saw these flashes of brilliance that were just too few and far between. However, I, I think he had some he had some kind of um, issues that weren't to do with football that were going on in his life at the time. So, and he was home, you know, he was he'd have to left his family and stuff. I know you got to leave mm. that and play on the field. So it was unfortunate that it didn't work out because I think that he could have been really, really special for us. However, I just don't think he was cut out for English football, full stop, really. But um, he was one that I was disappointed didn't work out. I think I'll go with um, Sherla myself oh, yes. storm, right? yeah I remember I was so excited when we signed him even though quite a few Dortmund fans seemed quite happy to see him go I was thinking oh well just ungrateful maybe I, I don't know maybe he just had a poor time at Dortmund but then when he arrived first few games he was well very, very decent and maybe even good mm. and then after that apart from one or two brilliant goals I mean he just he he, di- he didn't seem to care in my opinion and that was what really stuck out to me Nathan, yeah. I was just going to agree with the Charlotte just because like I, you just think you get a professional like this. I loved that signing not because I thought he'd set the world on fire, but because I thought he'd sort of be reliable. You could get you a few goals, he, but he would also just do the what the manager needed him to do, work for the club, and it was just, he was just such a like just depressing player to watch. It was just it's just horrible. It was it was really bad. Yeah, I'm trying to think who mine is. I going back old school I don't think you can get much more than Steve Marley mm. I mean he is the obvious one for me back but it was such a seismic moment we we spent more than 10 million pounds on a footballer it was kind of game changing I, I mean I think Van der Sar was the most game changing transfer of of that summer that was the most I can't believe we've done this but Steve Marley was so highly rated if you see some of Steve Marley's goals he was scoring for Leon before he joined us there is one in particular I can't remember who it was I want to say Saint-Étienne or something like that in France but it's in the most outrageous folly you have ever seen and you see that coming to Fulham you're thinking oh my god we've signed one of the world's best players and he was in the France team they were champions of the world and it just fell so flat on its face, it was ridiculous. So I think going old school, I'll go back to Steve Marley. Yeah, that's a very good chat. Also, uh, want to chuck in the mix, uh, Konstantinos Mitroglou, who yeah, was just absolutely shocking from start to finish. Played about three minutes for us and uh, just, just seemed to put on weight for the entire time that he was with us. I seem to remember thinking that it wouldn't work in a way with Metroglou obviously it was disappointing but mm. there felt like it felt like a move of desperation at the time and, and it ultimately turned out to be one there are rumours that we could have signed Antoine Griezmann instead of him do you remember that yeah when it went round yeah, yeah. so how, how different things could have been um, I, I am not even sure Griezmann could have saved us that season <laughs> um, right final question this is just for George uh, this <laughs> is from John Harkness and he says how old is too old for Twitter 
in brackets asking for a friend <laughs> how old is too old for oh right <laughs> this is the guy yeah, who yeah. didn't listen to the Fulhamish extra in the week that um, George royally um, <laughs> just pulled his pants down on the on the podcast basically because John had a Twitter account that was his username was an email address <laughs> it was his email address and oh I I believe I uh, described it as a reason why middle aged people shouldn't have Twitter however I did I did go on to hastily backtrack and thank him very much for his uh, for getting in touch <laughs> as I am right now but I would say too old for Twitter if you if you could if you could see the phone if your eyesight's good enough to see the phone then I'd say uh, what's so you saying if you need glasses to look at Twitter then you shouldn't have Twitter um, I, if your if your eyesight is deteriorating from age age so 40 plus <laughs> I'm digging myself all George, George, George will be deleting his Twitter account <laughs> later this week actually at George Croops underscore is, will be available. is where you can tweet if you are still young enough for Twitter your thoughts on Can't George's uh, opinions on Twitter alright George uh, hopefully you do a little bit better this task we need to name today's podcast Sam, what are you thinking Sammy one thing we should say for people oh, going yeah. for one thing we should say for people going to the game on Saturday saw the club had tweeted this I think there's gonna be like on the minute two they're going to be doing a nice yes. little moment of remembrance for Benicophobe lost his daughter. Minute number two, they're going to do a bit of a, a round of applause. So it'd be great to have the Fulham fans, you know, go alongside the Bristol fans. Everyone hates to see that. No, very fair point. And obviously, all our thoughts were with Benick and his family. It's um, absolute tragedy, and I'm, I was I was really devastated reading that yesterday. So yeah, let's please join in the second minute um, applause for for Benick's daughter. Um, right, George. Uh, on a happier note, let's uh, choose the name of the podcast. We are going for Black Friday Wales, and that's by Patrick Joseph Brown. So, well done, mate. Thank you very much uh, that you've named the pod. A wonderful three-word review. Mm. That. That's one of my favourites. Topical as well on Cyber Monday. <laughs> if you're not, if you're, if you, what, do they have Black Friday in the states, don't we they? We started it. Oh right, yeah. Do they have Black Friday everywhere now? Talking of conspiracies, we were going on about earlier on in the pod. <laughs> Supposedly, it's a consumer conspiracy to mean that. By the time Christmas comes around, the uh, the receipt has expired, so you can't take any of your goods back. Wowzers. I, I, I have more history on this, but I think Sammy might kill me if I give you more backstory on Black Fridays. <laughs> yeah, maybe let's We've save got a lot that. of tangents. <laughs> We've got plenty more podcasts to get into that in the future, Nathan. Thank you very much for listening today. Thank you to George Cooper. Thank you very much. Thank you to Joe Sansom. Thank you. And thank you to Nathan Martin. You white. Fulhamish Extra will be out later in the week, hosted by Monsieur Don Betts. Uh, and have a good week. Come on, you whites.